a timer, and we are going to go. Off we go. So, let's open up to Daniel 1. We're going to just start from the beginning, because it's very important to get the foundation of this. Daniel 1, 1. So, just to give you some background, Jeremiah, um, his life overlapped a bit of uh, Daniel's life, and he was prophesying about the coming judgment of Jerusalem. And that was very anti what everyone wanted to hear. Of course, nobody ever wants to hear about something bad coming. But Jeremiah was speaking and prophesying for decades. And there was somebody in all of Israel paying attention. And it was Daniel. He was just a kid. He was just a teenager, you guys. When he was taken into Babylon, he was only 14 years old. So this is... Imagine yourself at 14 years old. That's traumatic, right? But he, this is up and this is before Daniel 1. This is, you know, we're starting in the third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar besieges uh, Jerusalem and just takes everyone to Babylon. And so Jeremiah had been prophesying about this for years. Daniel paid attention. I just want to make note of that. So the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. We're in verse 2. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his god, lower G. This was Nebuchadnezzar's false gods. Placed the vessels in the treasury of his god. Basically, Jerusalem is raided, and the people are taken to Babylon. We're going to skip down. Um, no, we're not skipping down. The king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So, something to note. Not only, I mean, this may look, oh, great, this is very positive for Daniel. It's, he, not only is he um, being taken out of his homeland, but he, as a devout Jew, is being made to serve in the king's court of a king they hated. So just think about that. That's another, there's so much opportunity in Daniel's life to take offense with God. And this is yet just another place. So that place of being selected as one of these youth wasn't an easy thing. They were to be educated for three years. Oh yeah, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. I want you to take note of that word right there, standing before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Which we're familiar with three of those names. Most people don't know Daniel's name because he's referred to as Daniel throughout the book of Daniel because of the uh, remarkable nature of his life. He kept, he was basically still referred to by his Jewish name because he really carried what God put in them. Um, But Daniel resolved, go down to verse 8. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Take careful note of that. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion. This is the first place that we see that word, and this is something that follows Daniel throughout his life, favor and compassion in the sight of the, of the king. In this case, the chief of the eunuchs is where he got favor. And the chief said to Daniel, I fear the Lord. We know this story if you've, if you've read it before. 
he, he's the one who told us to do this. If you're worse off afterwards, he's going to kill me. And then um, Daniel has him test them for 10 days. Let, you know, he says, let us drink water, basically, and eat vegetables for 10 days and see how we do, see how we're doing after that. At the end of those 10 days, verse 15, it's seen that they're better in appearance, fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So we're going to stop here. Time for some commentary. So this is significant. This is a linchpin of David, uh, David Daniel's life that you really see throughout his life. Food was a key battleground for Daniel. The place of fasting. The place of not eating the king's food. The place of holding to Jewish tradition and not eating the, it was very likely pork, that they were offered that the Jews wouldn't, it was not according to the law. Daniel, not only were the Jews a minority in Babylon, Daniel was a minority among minorities. He was somebody who would go against the grain. Most people weren't doing this. Most of those youths, you can imagine, they were just going with it. Daniel is noted because he set himself apart. And this is something that we take note of. It's not insignificant. This is the foundation of Daniel's life, that he would set himself apart and he'd be willing to be different. So with that, I've got to open up my notes here. They are to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they would stand before the king. This is a huge parallel to modern-day education, right? This is so much like, I mean, so many of you guys, I see a sea of faces here, and I've got to say, over half of us are students, right? Raise your hand if you're a student. Yeah, about half of us. So it's really significant. This is, this is a real parallel for you. This is a parallel for all of us, but especially for students. After those three years, they were to stand before the king. God had selected him already to be put before kings. This is something that marks the Christian life. This is something that we are to take note of for ourselves because it is something that Jesus said of us, and I'll get to that in a minute. But God brought them to Babylon for a reason. And this is, this is one of my points. If, you're, if you are in school, if you're studying, God has brought you there for a reason. Not because your parents pushed for it. Not because you wanted it. Not because it came to you. But because God is the one who's put you there. Wherever you, if you think that, that Daniel was excited about being where he was put, you're mistaken. This is traumatic stuff. And he had every, again, every opportunity to be offended with God, but he didn't get offended. You're where you are for a reason. God wants you there. More broadly, wherever God has put you, whether it's in career, ministry, whatever it is, it's for a reason and a purpose. The life of Daniel and the life of Joseph echo this with such clarity, it cannot be ignored. This is the place of suffering and favor that we see marking Daniel's life. If you look at, um, where is that scripture? Yeah, there's two contexts. Proverbs 22:29. Uh, this will sound familiar. You don't have to turn there. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. If there was ever a verse that, mark, that would describe Daniel's life from another part of the Bible, it'd be that, right? He was standing before kings because he was excellent. And that's really the crux. I mean, I've got three chapters to hit here. We're going to hit one mainly, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over two and three as well. But the real crux of this message that I want to get to you guys today, excellence, it marked his life. It really marked him. It's what put him before kings. It was his excellence before God and before men. 
that made him different. He did not just go with the flow. He was not just good at what he did. He was countercultural. He stood against the the tide and the trend of his society at the time. And uh, he stood for God. Proverbs 22, 29, that's the context of favor. I want you to turn real quick to Matthew 10, 18, as I take a drink here, because I'm already dry-throated. Matthew 10, 18. It says there, basically this is an excerpt from it, but you will be brought even before governors and kings for my sake. That is really the just the takeaway that I want to say. It, it's in the context of saying, Jesus telling the disciples, telling those who are following him, this is going to happen to you. You're going to suffer for my sake. And you'll be brought before kings and leaders and government officials for my sake. For the sake of testifying to the glory of God. And this is the uncomfortable reality that we don't want to grasp as an American church, right? We're surrounded by comfort. We're surrounded by thing just the blessings of God. The context that God would allow suffering so that we could be brought before kings is probably outside of most of our understanding, but it should be grasped by us. Because not only does God use favor to put you before kings, and he will. Your excellence in career, your excellence in education, that will bring you before leaders. It'll bring you even before government officials and leaders of nations. I guarantee you, if you walk with God, he will do that. You're not, you, you break yourself out of the mentality that you can just live a normal life. God has not set that path before you as a Christian. There is no normal life for you anymore. There's no normal life. So, but favor is one way God brings you before. Suffering is another. If you lived in China today, you may be brought before a government official because you were having a second or a third child. You could be brought before a government official because you're, you have a church, an underground church. You could be imprisoned. But if you read the scripture and you actually believe Matthew 10, 18, you're going to do what Stephen did. And you're going to prophesy. And you're going to speak to God's glory before that person. Dan Bauman, he was here during the 110 conference. If you didn't hear it, you should listen to the message. It's unbelievable. It'll rock your world because it will challenge, it challenged my perception of safety in the context of suffering. But he was brought before somebody, and he lived this out, and he was able to testify to a judge in, what was it, Iran? Yeah. So God uses both of these things to bring us before kings. It's our destiny, guys, as Christians, as believers, that we wouldn't live on the status quo. God wants to, one way or the other, he wants to bring you before those who matter. He wants to give you a message to the nations, and you don't know how that will happen. You don't know. It could be through your career. It could be through circumstance. So, going down here, one fifteen at the end of the 10 days, better than all the youths. So this is the linchpin of Daniel and his friends' excellence. The willingness and the resolve to stand out and to not be concerned about fitting in. Guys, this is such a reality. This is, as, as most of us are young people, a lot of us are young people, but even at all ages, this is society in general. This is a human condition. We want to be like each other. We want to be accepted. This is a base need. But you're accepted in Christ, right? You're accepted by God. 
This is your reality now. You don't have to look to cultural conformity any longer. This is not, that's, that is not your portion. You can live for God and you can stand against the stream. And you must, as a Christian, this is how God's going to use you. He was willing to stand out. He was willing to not fit in. The pull of cultural conformity shouts in your ears that in order to have the success that other people are having or appear to have, you have to do what they do. But there's a better way. There's a secret way of the kingdom. If you just follow Christ, if you do what he's saying, if you're sensitive to his voice, listen, you're not to partake of all the entertainment. Think about your life in analogy to Daniel. You're not to partake of all the same entertainment as the rest of your friends are. I challenge you that this morning. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit. You need to listen to your heart because God is speaking to you. And if you can't hear him in that area, how are you going to hear him some other area that's more important? If you're faithful in little things, he'll be given, you'll be given much, right? This is the beginning. This is the, it starts at the small place. You want breakthrough in your life. You want to overcome great obstacles, Maybe you have great sin that you need to overcome. It starts in the little areas, guys. It starts in the smallest place. That little hint of compromise. When you're watching television, and either you know it's too long, you know it's been going on too long, and you're wasting your time. Listen, you've been given such a short amount of time. To waste it is a sin. To waste it is sin before God. And it's in your own life a sin unto yourself, because you don't get that much. It feels like you have a long time to live, especially when you're young. The older you get, the faster it goes, guys. The faster it goes. I'm still young, so it's not a reality for me yet. But listen, it's still... <laughs> listen, I still love like, I got all this time. This is great. But the reality is, I mean, 70 years, I could get hit by a truck tomorrow. You don't have much time. To serve God is your chief purpose in life. If you think that having a career that makes you good money and having a family that looks like the cultural norm is your degree of success, you need to rethink it. You need to rethink it because it is not about that. Life is about serving God. I'm going to skip actually to another point. It's way at the end of my notes. This is a teaser, but okay, love teasers. Star Wars, anybody? Hallelujah. Okay, anyway. <laughs> we got to figure out that guy's night. But um, I probably can't get in now, now that I think about it. I haven't gotten my ticket. But anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, tangent. I just go on bunny trails sometimes. But the teaser is this. I keep saying David. I love David too. He's my man, the rock star of the Bible. <laughs> David Fartek, what? Um, but anyway, Daniel was... If you look at this, he was inducted into the Order of the Magi. We'll see that soon. And the eunuchs. Daniel was a eunuch. If you don't know what that means, look it up. But basically, <laughs> he was never going to have kids, guys. That was never going to happen. If you think your legacy is tied to your cultural ideal, you're missing the point of the gospel. It's not going to happen that way. God is going to use your life for so much more if you can just let that go and serve God. Because Daniel's life left a legacy, spans even to our day, spans to the birth of Christ. That's the teaser. I'll get to that later. But it's really amazing. God used Daniel in profound ways, not just in his time, but 500 years later.
the anointing for excellence. 117. As for these, I want you to read this with me. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. All literature and wisdom that they had of that day. Learning and skill in all of it. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. I want to tell you a little bit about the Magi. This was the order of the Magi. They were basically counselors to the king's court. It's where we get the word magician from. These were guys, they were the real deal that you get all the legends from. This is, this is part of that. Uh, the word wizard, it comes from wise art. It's a Middle English word. It's just another way of saying wise man. This, these were the wizards and the sorcerers and the magicians of their time. If that sounds Harry Potter to you, well, this is where it comes from. So get used to it. It's the Bible. It's crazy. This is, and if you, this is the crazy thing. Daniel's put in the middle of this. He's put in the middle of a place that's hostile to God. I mean, pagan stuff, really pagan stuff. I mean, if you think that magic was, was all just like, you know, kind of fairy dust, it wasn't. It was some dark stuff going on. And Daniel's put in the midst of it to influence them. That will challenge your perception of how to serve God. So Daniel is put in the middle of this. I don't know where I was. Okay, going back. Excellence, right. So Daniel's understanding in all visions and dreams meant a lot. In Western culture, we don't really think about dreams much. We think we have pizza dreams. We think they don't mean anything. Seriously, we don't take them near enough importance. But in Eastern culture, even to this day, but especially back then, this was a language they knew God was speaking, or if they didn't have a context for God, they knew that they would get revelation from this. This is a, a big area of, the, of what the Magi revered as a way of getting basically prophecy. And this is why, that they, this is why they were the counselors to the kings, because they would get dreams, they would get visions. Same with the prophets of Israel. Um, dreams and visions were a huge deal for them as well. But Daniel was giving understanding in all visions and dreams. That's huge. At the, verse 18, at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. Make note of that. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. He's given favor because he set himself apart to follow God. God will put divine skill, guys. He'll put divine understanding on your life if you'll stand for, if you'll stand for truth, if you'll stand against the flow, the tide of society. I want to tell you this. Excellence, it's such a huge thing for me. It's something I, I'm striving for in my own life. It's a huge... It's, this, Daniel, is like a message of my life. Uh, a very key one. Um, because I really do. Time is valuable, guys. I think that time is... It's, been our, it's, it's the greatest gift that we've been given. And we cannot squander it. And with that, God is on your side. As a student today, I want you to know, first of all, there's not judgment, but if you're wasting your time, and you are, you need to look at it, okay? No, trust me, I know you guys. Seriously, I really do. I know you guys, I know your schedules, I know a lot of you students, and I know how it works. And you're on Facebook a whole heck of a lot. 
you're on meme sites a lot, okay? This is real. This is real talk right now. So, and listen, this is, this is human. We all waste time. It's actually just, it's, it's something that you kind of need. But how are you wasting your time? What are you going to waste it on? Daniel, we'll see later on, it's not in my little section, one through three here. But you know the story. He prayed three times a day. That wasn't new. He did that his whole life. He prayed three times a day. This is the most important guy in the kingdom of Babylon, next to the king. He was put over everything. And he prayed three times a day. In the reign of Darius, he opened his window. He probably did that most of the time. But he especially did it then just to annoy everyone. But he opened his window three times a day, and he prayed out loud. This is a place, being set apart. Fasting is a place. We're going to see that in Daniel. The 21-day fast that he does. What an awesome example that we can follow as people. It's not that hard of a fast. I'm so thankful for it. I'm like, I can do this. This is great. No meat, no sweets. Thank you, Jesus. I can actually live as a skinny guy who has a high metabolism. I can actually make it through. I think a water fast, I probably wouldn't be up here. But, <laughs> but yeah, the Daniel fast, very doable. Thank you, Daniel. But the place of fasting, and we see that, it's powerful. It, it yielded huge results in his life right in the beginning. Um, this is a foundation. So being set apart both in fasting and in prayer. This is part of the Daniel stance. If you do things God's way, he's going to give you ability and wisdom beyond your natural ability. Your striving for the standard of those around you is useless. Strive for God's approval. And he will give you ability that no one else can match. In, his, in Exodus 31, Solomon's getting ready to build the temple. And God speaks to him about this guy called Bezalel. Okay? He is my man. I love Bezalel. This is what the Holy Spirit says about him. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship. This guy basically designed the temple. Everything that wasn't uh, dictated by God as for what should be done. Bezalel was the one. He, was, he had such a high degree of excellence that God anointed him to do even greater things and to build the temple that God would dwell in. So epic. So epic. And this is, what, this, is, this is the same kind of thing that God puts on Daniel's life. It's the same kind of giving wisdom, this anointing of wisdom and understanding. Bezalel had it. He built the temple of God. Daniel had it. He ruled over kingdoms, basically. I mean, come on. This is what God wants to do with your life. So don't limit yourself. I found this. Productivity, it's not a constant. It's not. It doesn't, it's not just a smooth line. It is, if you're going by man's terms. But with God, you can get supernatural productivity, supernatural effectiveness. You turn that scale exponential, baby. That's where it's at. Come on. If you, this is what I found for myself. I've said it before. But if you spend time with God in the morning, it may be a sacrifice. You may not think you have the time. God will multiply your time, people. It, he really will. It's not, just, it's not just filling your day with as many busy things as you can. It's not just being overwhelmed by work. Set aside an hour. Set aside half an hour. Spend it with God and see what he does. So, that's, the, that's basically the foundation of Daniel's life. It's so phenomenal. Oh yeah, this is good. 
Excellence is often, <laughs> thank you, John. I appreciate it. I'm like, ooh, this is great. I wrote this, but it's good. Excellence is often defined by striving in our culture, but we're to achieve it by knowing and experiencing the nature of God. He created the world with a word. With one word, he formed the heavens, it says. That's profound. The same God that did that wants to put that on your life. He wants to give you the creativity. I don't care if you're an artistic person or not. He wants to give you creativity to be more effective than humanly you could be. Daniel 2. This is, and we're going to summarize here because we definitely, we're 24 minutes, we're doing pretty good, but we've got to make sure we get through 2 and 3. This, uh, so I'll summarize the story here. Um, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He has this dream about this statue, right? And um, he, a little background, Kathy was telling me this actually. It's very helpful. Thank you so much, Kathy. So Nebuchadnezzar, he uh, was this really like macho guy. He was this really just manly dude, warrior guy, super scary. That's how Kathy said the commentators describe him. I didn't read those commentators, but I trust her. And so this is kind of like the picture of Nebuchadnezzar that we have, right? Like he's this scary guy. His dad had been pulled around by the magi, by the enchanters. And, you know, because they, the, they were the counselors, right? And they kind of just, you know, told him what he wanted to hear and really kind of caused confusion, is what these guys say. Really caused confusion as, as far as to what to do with the kingdom, how to go out to battle, that kind of thing. Nebuchadnezzar thought it was stupid. And he didn't want anything to do with it. So really, this was his way of cleansing the king's courts. It was his way of cleansing the whole, um, the whole palace and you know, starting fresh, starting with a clean slate. He gives them the impossible. He says, no, don't just, I don't want an interpretation of the dream. You guys come up with those plenty. You can just come up with those all day long, it seems. I want you to tell me the dream. I want to see if you have real power. See, here's the thing. I think God gave Nebuchadnezzar this hunger for the real deal. And he'll do that, guys. Because Daniel was around, God knew this. Nebuchadnezzar didn't just come up with this idea. God put it in his head to challenge the magicians, to challenge the, uh, the sorcerers, to say, do you have the real stuff? Because I'm looking for it. This is what I really want. I want the real deal. And so he's going to wipe them all out. He's going to kill them all because they couldn't do this. Daniel steps in and because uh, the, guard, the guards come to Daniel and his friends are like, well, we've got to take you away and kill you. And he's like, whoa, one second. We know the king. The king was super impressed with them before. So he kind of had an in. So he just says, listen, let the, let the king know it's me and we just need like 24 hours or something. I forget what the time period was. Kathy, what was the time period that they prayed? Yeah, a very short period of time. So, God shows Daniel. Okay, so first of all, we need to take note. Let me go down here. So, therefore, tell me the dream. You show the interpretation. Obviously, they say, well, this is impossible. And no one can show it to the king. This is the response of the magicians. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So, the magicians are like, yeah, we can't do that. That's obviously supernatural and divine. And we don't really have access to the divine. And they're admitting it. So... Anyway, this is, this is the thing, because the demonic doesn't have access. You know, like, their power comes from the demonic realm. That's where they're getting it. And it doesn't have access in the dream life. That's why dreams can be so amazing, because you have the influence of God. Obviously, you have your mind at work, but God can get in there and influence in this special way. And that's what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. But anyway, it goes on down. 
Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. So we see here um, the, the linchpin of prayer in Daniel's life and of community. So he basically was like the leader of these peers. These four guys, they were a crew. He got them in. When da- it was really Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar was impressed with um, back in chapter 1. And then he says, I got these three guys. They're really good too. And the king was impressed with them too. But he, he's the one who kind of vouched for them. So Daniel was put on the inside of the king's courts basically. And the three, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, they were put in ruling over the province out in Babylon, so they weren't inside the courts. Daniel had a higher position. Um, but they stayed tight. They stayed as a crew. And they sought God together. We can see that. And it's, it's really key that they did. This is something, this is a part of the Daniel stance that you've got to take note of. Community is key, guys. Especially when you're a student, you may think, well, I'm only here for four years, you know, I'll just make some friends, I'll kind of go along my way, I'll visit a couple churches, but really never put down roots. It's not going to work for you guys. This is such a pivotal time in your life. I know I'm talking to students a lot, but seriously, if you're a student, this is such a key time in your life. God wants to plant seeds that would sprout into destiny. And those seeds will not be watered without community. You need community so badly. Commit. Get yourself to small group. Get yourself to small group. Seriously. Get yourself praying with a group of friends. Commit to a prayer set. This is how it works. It's not just, you know, taking it as it comes. And this is the place to establish definitive boundaries in your own life, uh, even in how you study, in how you work, and how you get things done, and also how you spend your time and who you connect with. Don't let it be haphazard. Some of you guys are just going to whatever random party you find. You're going to whatever random social gathering comes up. Be more intentional than that. Be more intentional than just going to whatever random friend introduced themselves to you. That's fine. And you need to make connections. You need to make friendships. But there are those, like the three, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, with with uh, Daniel. They connected and they bound themselves together in covenant. This is so key. You need that. And for those of us who aren't students, we all need this. Community is such a key part of serving God. So we see that here. Daniel is basically the leader among his peers here. God reveals it to Daniel in the vision of the night. And Daniel gives this really, really fantastic psalm. I just want to read it. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Daniel knows how this works. Because he read Jeremiah and he knew this would happen. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Verse 22. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you've made known to us the king's matter. So basically... He goes in before the king. Skip down to verse um, 27. Daniel answered the king. Actually, first, the king said to Daniel, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel says, No wise men, enchanters, magicians. He throws them all under the bus. 
He says, no wise men, all these dudes before you, they obviously are no good. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. When it comes time to speak the word in a season of favor, do not shrink back. Don't shrink back. When God puts you in favor with, a, with the president of a company, and he's revealing the secrets of his heart with you, don't shrink back. Preach the gospel. Show him, tell him what God's speaking to you for him. This is the place of favor is not to be squandered. Daniel doesn't squander it. He says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Because this is quite the, quite the vision. This vision actually follows Daniel throughout his life. It happens again. He sees it again. This, your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, as for me, this mystery has, been re- has not been has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. He tells him the dream. He blows him away. And they, uh, thankfully, we have Kathy to help us walk through the statue. It's basically, um, let me just make sure I have it straight here. Gold, the, gold, the head of gold was Babylon. Uh, silver was Persia. Bronze is Greece. Iron and clay, the feet of iron and clay was Rome. And they're also precursors to the last days, the end of the age. And that's for, it's profound. There's a lot of messianic and apocalyptic prophecy in Daniel. And we're going to get into that. I won't be getting into that today. But we're going to have more on that. So just stay tuned and make sure you come and listen to the other messages. Um, but he blows him away with uh, telling him the dream. And, uh, and especially the reign of God's kingdom that we set up is so good. Verse 44. And in the days of those kings... This is after those, those kingdoms have been crushed. Uh, or after, those, after all those kingdoms have come, all those, those, all those empires, up to the last, imp, the last great empire, which is Rome. And in, those day, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So we see there's, there's, a, there's a partial fulfillment of the statue leading up to the fall of Rome. But then there's echoes, basically, to when the... If, you've, if you're familiar with Revelation, the Antichrist setting up his kingdom, it's another uh, place. And that's where the kingdom of God will crush the kingdoms of the earth and set up reign forever. Obviously, it hasn't happened yet. But this is, this is the... Uh, really, part of the Messianic prophecy. So anyway, well, it's part of the kingdom prophecy. A great God has made known to the king what shall be... After this, the dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. This is unheard of. This is not something a king does, especially not one like Nebuchadnezzar. This is a guy who's throwing people in burning furnaces, chopping their heads off, and going to war. This guy would not just bow to anybody. He is the king. And he's so floored by this that he falls before Daniel. He commands that an offering and incense be offered for him and says, truly, your God is God of gods. This is the response of the heart to God's revelation. Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And um, so basically over the Magi as well. Um, the, the, the wise men and the Magi were kind of the same thing. 
Uh, and then this is where Daniel says he makes a request to the king. He points Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And now we see them referred to by their Babylonian names, but over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court, which is important for us to know for the next chapter. But the, the key thing here is God giving revelation in the place of prayer, setting his face before, before God. Daniel hits the prayer closet hard and seeks God for revelation. When you're faced with something dire, when you're faced with something dramatic in your life that you need answers for, do what Daniel did. You know, there's something that marks Daniel's life is this childlike faith that he knew God would come through. He knew God was going to answer him. He said, God will give me the, the interpretation. Just give me a few hours. And he goes and he prays hard. And then he gets a vision. So powerful. Live your life that way. Don't live it in just saying, well, maybe God will reveal to me. No, you have access to God. This is even pre the uh, dispensation of grace. This is so powerful. Daniel understands something that we don't even understand as the New Testament church. He knows he has access to God no matter what. And that God will give him revelation. This is the spirit that we're supposed to have. So, we're going to go next into chapter 3. Let's see. Oh, a, couple, a couple notes. The place of challenge becomes the pr- place of promotion. Daniel, back in chapter 2, sorry. Daniel was going to lose his life, right? And out of it, God brings promotion. Daniel is promoted to the highest position in the kingdom. Moreover, his position over the wise men led to him, so this is what the teaser was about, led to him being the reason that the Magi brought gifts at the birth of Christ. You, this, that may sound crazy. A lot of people don't know this, but there's actually a really strong connection that you can look at historically. We're in the Christmas season, right? We're in the Advent season. This, you know, The birth of Christ, those wise men that brought gifts to Christ, and uh, basically they were searching for him. They found him at two years old but they saw the star at his birth. That star was first prophesied, and this is just kind of a little side note, but it's too cool. I've got to share it with you. But that star was prophesied way back before Daniel by Balaam, who was a Gentile prophet. Remember Balaam and the donkey, the talking donkey? Anybody? It's like Shrek up in here. Like, you know, we've got talking donkeys. Oh, my. So, like, you know, the, the angel, like, stops him. God opens his mouth to... Uh, <laughs> Daryl appreciated that. <laughs> he opens his mouth to prophesy, and, and the words of God, like this, this Gentile king is trying to get him to curse Israel is over here. He's overlooking all of Jerusalem, and he's saying, uh, and then out of his mouth comes prophecy from the Holy Spirit. It's crazy. He's a Gentile uh, prophet, totally against God, and God uses him to prophesy the scepter of David in Jerusalem. And he's the one, it's his prophecy, where the star of Bethlehem is prophesied. That's crazy, right? So that's part of why they were looking for it. Now, actually, historically, some people say that Balaam was part of the, the origination of the Order of the Magi, or possibly even started it. So they definitely looked back to him as an influence for all their stuff. Keep in mind, they're pagan. They're, they're getting info from all over the place, but they're also paying attention to Balaam and his prophecy. And they paid attention because of where Daniel was placed. Remember, keep in mind, I hope you're tracking because I know it's a lot, but the place of suffering, the danger of his life. He seeks God. You know, all the wise men are going to be wiped out. You know, this, this, all this wouldn't happen and Daniel's life would have come to an end. But he seeks God. He gets the revelation and he's promoted 
to the highest place. This is where he gets promoted. And it's so powerful because from that, he's he's a eunuch, right? He doesn't have a family. He doesn't have a normal legacy. He actually leaves a legacy that the mag- so the Magi paid attention to. It's, some people even say he may have set up a secret sect of the Magi up to the birth of Christ, knowing which gifts to bring to Christ at his birth, looking for that star. And there's so much great stuff. You should go read about the star of Bethlehem. It's amazing. Um, but basically, there's pretty good evidence that, you know, that we can't trace this because there's no historical record before 1000 A.D., but uh, visible supernova. There's only been a few visible supernova in human history, but actually this possibly could have been. It fits the description of the Bible. A visible supernova, really bright, looks like a star, but it outshines all the other stars, and it lasts for about a month to three months, which is what you know they needed. They saw that star, and they started looking for Jesus, and they brought him these gifts that were basically for his royalty and his burial and resurrection. That was because of Daniel. Daniel told them to you know, that that was what they needed to do. So his influence is felt even at the birth of Christ. So crazy. Anyway, so moving on to three. My throat's dry again. I've got to take a drink. Give me a sec. All right. So Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. Everybody tracking so far? Thank you so much. I know I go long. It's like 40 minutes now, but come on, we can do this. You watch Netflix for like 50 times that long. <laughs> Seriously, you guys could do this. I believe in you. Um, <laughs> so 10 years later, the battle of cultural conformity rages again. And once again, this king's pride leads him to do something that challenges their faith. Is this a mistake? No. But there is a reason he set up the golden image. Kathy was telling me last night, there had been a lot of coups, uh, coup attempts, actually, um, just a number of them in even Nebuchadnezzar's time. This is an empire. It is no small potatoes. Like, it is a big deal. And Nebuchadnezzar's king, he doesn't want to lose this. this I mean, he's, he's very worried that he's going to lose his kingdom. So actually, this is probably for the, the golden statue that you see set up in chapter 3. It was probably for the those who worked in government. It wasn't just for all the people of the kingdom. It was actually for those who were working in the king's palace, those who worked in the provinces, as a show of loyalty to the king to, to kind of just reinforce that and to, kind of as a test for them to prove that they were loyal to the king. So the reason that Daniel wasn't part of that, he was in the king's court. He was highly trusted by Nebuchadnezzar. He had no reason to doubt Daniel's... Uh, loyalty to him, but it was those in the outer provinces that he was worried about, that he'd be worried that they would organize a coup against him. So he sets up this golden image, and he has them bow down to it. We know the story that um, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they're now called, they don't bow down. Cultural conformity. This is the message, man. This is the message of Daniel. He stand, He stood against it, and now these three, under his influence, this is the power of discipleship right here. They stand against what would be an ungodly thing to do, basically to deny God and bow down before another idol. You shall have no other idols before me. It's very clear um, in Exodus that they cannot bow to other idols, and so they hold fast because they saw their homie Daniel do it. He didn't bow. He's the one who, who basically says, there is a God in heaven, and I'm not going to just you know, go with the flow. Um, so it's, it's his influence in their life that you see here. They do the same thing. They don't bow down, 
and they get ratted out by their other people. Nebuchadnezzar brings them in. It says, look, and this was because he really had a soft part in his heart. He normally would just kill him. He just said, I'll give you another chance. I want to make sure it's really clear. Do you understand? You've got to bow down to it. And they say, this is so powerful. Let me go find it here because I'm kind of lost my place. Um, so, yeah. So he says, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you don't serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? And he says, if you don't worship, you're going to be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So, praise God. Anyway, um, <laughs> compassionate man. I know. Well, this is unusual for him, like, to give him a second chance. But, yeah, burning furnace, kind of, kind of intense. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. It's kind of brash. Um, like, they, the boldness that they had. Man, they must have known God. Because this is highly scary. This is highly scary. They're standing before the scariest guy in the entire world at that time. And their lives are at stake. Their lives are on the line. And they say, no, I don't, I don't want my, my emergency phone call. I got my answer right now. I'm going to tell you. I don't need to answer you about this. We've already made our statement by not bowing. And this is what they say. If this be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known, because if he doesn't do that, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So confident. They're so confident in God. And they're so loyal to God. Their ultimate loyalty is revealed. They're not just loyal to their job. They're not just loyal to their position. This is a challenge for us. You might not be bowing before a golden image or worshiping a golden calf in your office. If you are, you should probably call somebody who's an authority. <laughs> but uh, but if you, you may not be in that position, but it's, it's very real. The little compromises, the little places that you feel pressured to take. If you're in the workplace especially, you know what I'm talking about. Like, there are always little things that tempt us. There's always little things we're being told to do. You can make a stand, and you can stand out. Honesty is a big deal. Probably the, the biggest revealer of character in the workplace. You don't have to bow to white, you know, giving white lies, uh, making shady deals. This is, the kind of, this is the kind of thing. And maybe you, know, you, maybe you will find yourself in some situation in your life where it will cost you your entire career. But to make the stance and to say, no, I will serve God. This is what God would have me do. Not in a religious way, but in a confident way saying, I know God. This is who he is. This is who I am. And I will serve him regardless of what you will do. So it's so powerful. Nebuchadnezzar is enraged. He throws them into the furnace. And they fell bound into the fiery furnace down in verse 23. In verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar is astonished, and he rises up in haste. He declares to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they said, True, that's true, but there's four men. True that. <laughs> but there's four men walking around unbound, hanging out, <laughs> chilling. It's amazing. What's going on in there? And uh, so Nebuchadnezzar, they, they couldn't, the guys were killed who threw them in, and they're walking around. This is, I mean... It's such a challenge. I honestly, I know the challenge. It happens to me too. But get your mind out of the kids' church felt board right now because it is, you know, the kids' church stories 
and the cheesy Bible films. I'm sorry. I mean, like, I, I love them, praise God. But some of them are just like they stick in your mind. You're like, now I can't get rid of that image. Like, it's just so cheesy. But um, there's so many, like, stories that we know, especially this one, that are so powerful. So wipe the slate clean. This is your life at risk. You're going to be thrown into molten lava, let's just say. This is like this fiery furnace, so hot. It was made for, ins- for melting iron. It was made for, for forming bricks, like that kind of thing. These are the kind of furnaces they are. They're thrown in. This is intense stuff. And the pre-incarnate Christ, this is one of the, um, what's it called? Your wife knows the name of it. The- theophanies, thank you so much. This is one of the theophanies of Christ. Somebody's scholarly up in here. <laughs> Come on. It's so good. So this is one of the theophanies of Christ in Scripture. The pre-incarnate Christ is walking around, talking with these three guys, where they make the statement and the stance to not bow before the culture of their day and the king's command. They're given the opportunity to, to commune with the pre-incarnate Christ, God himself, walking around in the fire with them. How powerful is that? That is the opportunity that we get when we make a stand to walk with God. Listen, I'm so thankful for the message of God's love. I'm so thankful that we're accepted as his sons and daughters. But there's something so far more significant. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. I'm sorry, Jesus said that. Not somebody in the Old Testament. This is real. Your stance before God matters. Your stance before men matters. And it's the opportunity for you to commune with Christ. It is the opportunity for you to experience God on a whole new level. We're going to close in a second. Once again, King Nebuchadnezzar is astonished. And he says, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. He recognizes Christ. He knows. In in that intense heat, basically white-hot flame, he sees a bright light, brighter than that flame, brighter than anything they can see. These guys come out, and the hairs of their head are unsinged. They don't even smell like smoke. The powers of hell, the powers of death cannot touch them. They've been with Jesus. And they come out, and he falls on his face once again. Does it say that? I don't know if he falls on his face, actually. But he says, blessed, preaching heresy here, um, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command. Nebuchadnezzar gets it hard, man, throughout his life. I mean, he gets humbled massively so many times. You'll see next week, Matt's going to hit this. It's going to be so fun. But, and I'm not going to spoil it. You can just go read Daniel. But man, does Nebuchadnezzar get humbled. Here he is again. Like he's, He set himself up as the golden image to be worshipped. And he's, he's saying, you know what? Blessed are you who disobeyed my decree and served God. They yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. And there has... Here we go. We got Macho Nebuchadnezzar up in this house again. It's amazing. It just never stops. But their houses laid in ruins, <laughs> for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. 
Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon, so they get a promotion and get a raise. And then in the next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar writes part of the Bible, dude. That's amazing. So from there on out, Nebuchadnezzar's pretty sold uh, on who God is. Um, he gets a little pride in the way, but he, he's like, no, this is for real. God is, God is above me, and he is, he's the true God. He's the only living God, and he makes this decree. So most of us, man, we'll go out of our way, right, to do anything not to be provoking to people, won't we? We will, go, we will do anything to be like, okay, just kind of push it under, push it under, be more normal, just don't offend anybody. God wants to use you to provoke people, man. He wants to use you to put just a, just, just a, a jealousy in them that they would have to know God. Listen, it could be in the simplest way. It could be in the simplest thing. But God wants to use you in such a profound way that even kings would say, nope, he's it. God is the one. He's over me. He's over any other God. Listen, you may, you may think, ah, that's the Bible. This is old school. That's historical. We live in a modern era now. Man has not changed, and God has not changed. Culture may look different to you, but it's really the same thing. Different flavors, different shapes. But we're still just as impressionable. We're still just as weak. We're just a bunch of people down here on planet Earth trying to figure it out. And God has absolute power over kings today as he did in that day. He can do things in nations through your life. Listen, I, I love that you know, we're trying to build movements and we're trying to do all kinds of things, but it only takes one, you guys. It only takes Daniel and a group of three friends living in community, going hard after God and being used by him. This is all it needs. This is all God needs. He will shake nations through you. you see, we don't see a lot of other people here in Daniel's life. We have him and we've got three homies. That's it. God can use your life in such a powerful way if you let him. If you compare the magnitude of cultural change in his day in a pagan, king, in a pagan kingdom with a godless ruler to our day, what would your imagination come up with? What would your imagination describe? What kind of picture would that paint? Start to dream with God. This is the kind of thing he wants to do with your life. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would... Um, God, that you would give us a new vision for excellence, Lord. God, I ask that you would give us a vision not just for excellence in academia, not just excellence in career, but God, excellence before you. God, that we would be used by you to shake kings, to shake nations, God, to shake workplaces, to shape, shake entire schools and universities. Right now, I pray, Lord, that you would use Harvard students, God. God, I ask. I ask, Lord, raise up. Raise up some students, Lord, that would live in community. That would live by the precepts of God. That would read Psalm 119 every day, Lord, like the Orthodox Jews did of the old, Lord. God, that they would, they would know your laws and your precepts. That they would follow you without compromise, God. I ask you, Lord, that you would raise up those with such an influence. The influence of Daniel, Lord. An influence, God, of the kingdom of God, the leaven, Lord, that that mustard seed that's so small, but it grows and it overshadows every other tree. God, I ask that you would do this, God. Take a few Harvard students today, God. Put it in this message in their hearts. 
God, that they would commit their lives to excellence before you, God. Lord, in countercultural living, lives of prayer and fasting, and commitment to a community, God, I ask that you would burn the Daniel stance on each one of our hearts. God, that you would give us a vision beyond mediocrity in Jesus' name. That you give us a vision, Lord, beyond nominal Christian living, Lord, mediocre Christian living. God, I ask, shake us out of it in Jesus' name. God, give us the revelation that it only takes a few. It only takes two or three. Maybe you'll just use one. God, I ask that you would make us that one today. Burn this on our hearts, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Put your hands together for that message. Uh, I'm, quite, I'm, I'm trying to decide if I want to leave this on a good note or just do what I do and kind of, you know, I'm never one to shy away from saying hard things, but um, the likelihood of most of us being a man of this caliber is slim to none. But the unfortunate thing about that statement is we could be. You see, Daniel's life was directly, the the result of Daniel's life is what he sowed to. The Bible says that if you sow to the Spirit, you reap life. But if you sow to the flesh, you'll get what? Death. Some of us are dying. No, not physically, but spiritually. We all marvel. This is all great news, isn't it? Get you so excited and vamped up. But yet, the likelihood of most of us being uh, a people of the caliber of Daniel is slim to none. You understand, this man was going to be thrown into a fire. Some of us think the persecution is just what our boss thinks of us. Or what our friend thinks of us in school or in work. I'm not trying to be hard, I'm just trying to be honest. And certainly I would hate to touch upon Scripture like this without getting to the real real issues and the real things that create Daniels. The world needs Daniels again. And I love that we can all say amen. I say it. I'm, I'm preaching to myself today. I love that we can all shake our heads and say, yeah, that's right. But will we do what is necessary? Will we sow to the Spirit? Or will we continue being disgruntled and discontent because we know what we should do, but we choose not to do it? We know what we should sow to, but we choose not to because we think checking latest statuses might be more beneficial. Or we think daffing out in front of the television screen might Just ease the pain of our discontentment. Just shut it off. Listen, friend, most of us are discontent today because we are not sowing to the Spirit. We are not sowing and feeding off of who Jesus is. And this is what Daniel did. Listen, Daniel didn't play any games. If Facebook was popular in Daniel's day, guess what? Daniel wouldn't be on it. That's religion. No, I say that's the gospel. That's the word of God. Is that we would choose obedience, 
Love looks like something. It's not just a four-letter word that we can just shout out in the airwaves hoping that it connects with Jesus' heart. He says, if you love me, then obey me. Some of our root issues today in this morning, and I'm just going to do it, it has, is directly connected to obedience. And yes, it's in the small things, guys. It's in those small things. You can either spend your life discontent because you know you're not sowing to your spirit what you ought to sow to your spirit. Or you can just make amends like Daniel did. Open that window, you know. Open the window three times a day. That's religious. No, it's not. Religion is knowing what to do, knowing you knowing what to do, but not doing it. That's religion. And then calling other people to it. That's religion. Religion doesn't look like setting your face before God morning, noon, and night. That is not religion. Sorry. (laughs) I'm more frustrated with that ideal. That is not religion, friend. Religion is knowing what to do, but never doing it. We know what to do. We should do it. I don't want to just hear these words. I, want to, I don't want to just hear these stories and marvel. And, oh, it's so great, grandiose. Oh, I want to live it. How many want to live it today? Come on. Live it. Ah, it just feels good saying that, doesn't it? Getting real. Come on. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, guys, you can't just help but hear stories like this and it do something in your spirit. If God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then why not? If, if things are even more accessible to us under grace, then why not? Come on. It's not religion. It's devotion. It's not religion to actually make, make the decision to do certain things that may look to other even Christians as religious. It's not religion. That's all I got to say. I'm going to leave us right here. I love what Daniel Lim said one day when we were at a prayer meeting uh, in D.C., praying for the ending of abortion. It's always an interesting thing to see Christians respond to prayer. Uh, It's particularly over that uh, topic. And it got messy. It got real. Some people got real in that room. And there was other Christians who were just like, oh my Lord, is this really happening? And people are crying. People are yelling. People are... And Daniel M., after Matt Lockett, the director of J-Hop D.C., felt it as a pastor, like we should bring people into clarity, he says, no, leave it messy. Leave it messy. Sometimes we just need to leave it mess. You need to go home and think about things that were said. You need to go home and not just think about it, but start to live it. Stop hitting the snooze button. Get up. Get before God. Seek Jesus first that all things should be added unto you. And see how your life changes. You don't need to go to this town or that town to find Christ. All you need to do now is start exercising the things that Jesus tells us to exercise and walk in. We love you. I wouldn't be saying these things if I didn't love you.
Let's come back next Sunday. Let's hear Matthew. But in the interim, let's, 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 instead of hiding our eyes in the latest series and latest statuses, let's, let's give our eyes to the book of Daniel. Let's crack open this book and read it for ourselves and ask God to wash over us with his word. Amen. Uh, three o'clock. Jay Hop.